Yes, Father, I shall become a cast. A podcast, specifically this podcast, which is called A Cowardly and Superstitious Pod. And it's hosted by me, a stalwart and robust gentleman who loves Gotham and is named Nate. And it's also hosted by my friend Josh, who is a rapscallion and a ruffian who hates Gotham. Yes, hello, welcome. I am uh, so excited for this week on uh, this episode of Gahim. Uh, we are going to prank Nate, get him back for last week when he pranked me to have my car forever smell like rotted ham. And this week, uh, we're going to watch Nate's reaction as I replace all his toilet paper with bees. Oh, that's not good. I can't wipe my butt with bees. They're not absorbent enough. <laughs> Don't worry. Or uh, do, you know. What this show is actually about is the television show Gotham. I already said that. And specifically, it's about one specific episode of Gotham. An episode that's close to my heart and yours. Yes, that's right. Season 1, Episode 5, Viper. Which is just kind of an okay episode. Uh, we're doing Gotham again. Okay. Uh, yes, Viper. Uh, it's a very weird episode. Yeah, so... There's a lot of subplots. In the, there's a lot of subplots in every episode of Gotham. I think there's a lot specifically in this episode. So the main plot is our boys, Bullock and Gordon. Bullock, he gets top billing now because he's my favorite. They, um, there is a mysterious figure with a mangled ear distributing a drug that gives you super strength and then kills you amongst the people on the lowest rungs of society in Gotham. Uh, Harvey and Jim are looking for that guy. It turns out he's a disgruntled employee of a biotech firm that is owned by Wayne Industries who is distributing the drug in a way to repent for his hand in making it and its like upgraded version, which we learn is Venom, which if you know the comics and the movies and stuff is the thing that gives Bane his super strength. And he he's distributing the drug to try and expose the sins of this company to make up for his role in making Venom. Then we also have more of Fish Mooney training her new hire, which we learn in this episode. She has recruited her specifically to do like a honey pot on Carmine Falcone. Mm-hmm. And then also the penguin is still warming his way into Maroney's inner circle. He gets involved in a casino robbery that Maroney is trying to pull off to get back at Falcone. And then... That leads to Maroney finding out the Penguin's real identity and bringing in Jim Gordon to corroborate his story. So we get Jim Gordon meeting Sal Maroney. And then, is there something else? Well, I want to backtrack. I want to talk about uh, the repentance thing, which is weird. It is weird. Because the way that this disgruntled employee of... Um, what's Wellzine? Wellzine. Uh, this disgruntled employee, the way he's going to repent for the... Help in the creation of this bio weapon is by giving it out to homeless people so they could take it and then die. He's he is because like when you take it, you die. That's that's the thing. It hollows out your bones, but makes you super strong, which again does not work very well. No, it makes perfect sense, Josh. <laughs> it supercharges your muscles by eating your bones. What? <laughs> 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 that's that's what I, don't, I mean it's whatever it's comic book science sure but what i think is like really great is this supposed to be the predecessor to venom and the way that like the people that take the drug react uh is that to make up for their bones being eaten out from the inside they drink a lot of calcium through milk and cheese and i just like the idea of 
at some point in the future if we ever do get Bane in this show, which I think we will. I think I've seen things about that. Yes. Um, <laughs> he's always just chugging milk. Yeah. That's what he's, he's got the mask with the tubes, but, but it's, it's just, just milk coming through. Yeah, it's just pumping milk into his mouth. It's so gross. That, you know what? I think maybe maybe the upgraded Venom, it doesn't need to use cow milk, and Bane is the original soy boy. Ugh. It's even worse. I just like, <laughs> Batman pulls the tubes off his mask and it just sprays milk on him like he's a fucking android from Alien. <laughs> be amazing. Be absolutely amazing and also terrible at the same time. Yeah, the effect, I really like the effect for when they collapse. Because it is like they get hollowed out. Like, they're just, like, they are they just sink in and crumple yeah, under actually, their own um, weight. I really like that effect. I thought that went well. Um, I liked when the first victim, who was the guitarist, got the drug. And then he stole an ATM machine by himself. And then threatened to throw it on the cops. But then lost his bones while he was holding it. And just hollowed out and crumpled underneath the ATM machine. That was, A, ridiculous, but B, great. Yeah, that whole... That whole sequence is wild, and I really like it. Because he gets the drug, and he goes into a bodega, and he starts chugging milk straight out of the freezer. And then the guy who owns the bodega is like, Hey, what are you doing? Gotta leave my milk alone. Gotta wait for my milk. And then he goes, <laughs> the dude turns to him, and he goes, Do not vex me, mortal. And then we see a shot of him running with the ATM like slung over his back like Santa's sack of toys yeah. and he's just got this like deranged grin on his face it's real good <laughs> it's real wild uh, and then like when the Jim and uh, Harvey go to question him later the bodega owner uh, he says if I had a nickel for every guy that walked in here claimed to be a god I wouldn't be here <laughs> and I'm like wow that's a lot of people <laughs> it's Gotham dude <laughs> Oh, also, that guy threatens the dude on the on Viper with a baseball bat, and that guy just breaks the baseball bat with his bare hands. Mm-hmm. She's pretty rad. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think the whole thing was pretty rad. It's just the storyline of the disgruntled uh, employee giving out these things to repent is a little weird. Yeah, his plan doesn't make a ton of sense. I do like what we talked about before, where the show is kind of showing the slow, like evolution of the archetype within Gotham that will eventually become the supervillain. So we get a guy in this one who, he he has a big showy plan. He literally appears on a giant TV screen to threaten everyone at some point. He's got a deeper philosophy. They, they actually talk to his philosophy professor as like a suspect who turns out to be his accomplice in this. Yes. Which then also leads to my favorite part of the episode. When that guy explains the, his philosophy about like altruism to Gordon and Bullock, Gordon asks him some like important question about like a detail about the crime, and then Bullock just goes, "What's altruism?" <laughs> well, actually, altruism is the word of the pod, uh, and because that scene is hilarious and ridiculous, um, because what you're forgetting is this happens after the philosophy professor shoots himself out with a drug yeah. and goes strong and tries to beat them with a cane. I think he just throws Bullock through a door at the beginning of that fight. Yeah. That's pretty rad. Um, Bullock gets thrown around a lot. Yeah. And um, they shoot him. And then then he's asking, who's what's altruism? Like, like after he's already shot dead on the ground. <laughs> yeah, he's got a gun pointed at him and he just yells, what's altruism? <laughs> Which leads to that, um, that like cop moment that like something nonsensical leads him to be like, oh yeah. 
Uh, it's got to be a word for that, but because it's so commonplace. But um, they realize that there's a charity ball for Wayne Enterprises where they're going to attack next with the Viper drug. Yeah. That also leads to another one of my favorite bits of dialogue in the show. So the other subplot that I didn't get to, or that I didn't remember when I was recapping all of them, is there's some stuff about uh, Bruce looking into the structure of Wayne Enterprises because he is concerned about shady dealings that would lead to the stuff like the Arkham deal that we saw in the previous episode. And he has like a little face-to-face with one of the members of the board of directors of Wayne Enterprises at this charity, like, gala, and she's trying to distract him and, like, treating him like a kid, and she goes, your parents built a whole corporate empire. How awesome is that? And then it's just a beat of silence, and Bruce just goes, awesome. Anyway, what were we talking about? <laughs> I really liked that. I was like, yeah, man, that's exactly how people treat kids, and that's exactly how Batman would act if he was a kid. I actually, um... Yes, it's very awesome. Now, back to the crimes you committed. <laughs> I actually like what they're doing with Bruce currently, um, because instead of having him just conquer his fear all the time and jump off building roofs and put his hands on fire, um, and I don't know, do the Macarena, um, he's really digging in deep to the connections between uh, his parents' murder and Arkham and Viper and everything else, and um, I think that's great to like show him as like becoming the world's greatest detective. At the beginning of that, uh, there's a scene where Alfred's trying to discourage him from that and saying, "Why don't we take you for a walk? I could, uh, you know, make you a bagel, clean up after you. What do you do with kids?" <laughs> yeah, he's really. I, I like that Alfred is out of his depth as like a dude who doesn't know how to raise a kid. He doesn't have a kid. Yeah, but I definitely want to give props for the end. Uh, when they have their study time together, because after the whole thing with the charity and almost being attacked by the drug that Jim is able to stop in time, um, Alfred sits down with Bruce to start investigating it together, and they have this like bonding moment. I thought that was really well done. Yeah, yeah. So like a harbinger of things to come when they'll be solving all sorts of crimes together. Mm-hmm. And Bruce will will not be eating all sorts of sandwiches to illustrate how dedicated he is to solving crimes. Yeah, because he don't eat. <laughs> Does not eat. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Oh, speaking of eating, another one of my another great Bullock moment of this episode is when he just screams, "It's lunch!" <laughs> yeah, that was almost the word of the pod. <laughs> it was just ridiculous. But I want to uh, point out what he says before that, uh, because he's trying to get Gordon to taste his burger that he loves. Oh yeah. And the first way he describes it is, it looks like the heel of a homeless person's shoes. Yeah. <laughs> but apparently, like, it tastes really good, and you have to get pickles on it. Weird. Bullock's eating a lot. He eats a lot of street food. Uh, yeah. So this is an important part of his character. He's by the books, but he's also lazy, and he's also dirty, and he eats a lot of street food. And sometimes he's smart, and sometimes he isn't. They portray him as dumb a lot, especially in this episode. But then there are other times where they're like, yeah, Bullock's smart. And it's like, is he? <laughs> He's, I guess he's good at solving crimes, maybe. He's just lackadaisical. He's lackadaisical. And altruistic. <laughs> uh, I uh, wanted to discuss uh, the weapon thing that you mentioned earlier with Fish Mooney and the girl. Because uh, now they've developed a weird mother-daughter relationship. It happens very fast, and it's very unsettling. Just after they made out? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's weird. <laughs> like... 
it's like scenes out of nowhere when she's like training her to say the right things and listen to the right music to Honeypot Falcone, and she calls like the the girl who I don't think we have a name for it yet. No, the girl calls so. Fish Mooney Mama, and it's like uh... just the idea. So a weird crux of her plan to Honeypot Falcone is that Falcone has like. A weird mommy thing. He's got like mom issues. And so like a big part of making the girl like appealing enough to Falcone to get him, get her in the correct position to exploit Falcone is making her seem a lot like his mom. So I guess the idea is that like Mooney is like leading by example. Like I'm going to do the mommy thing to show you how to do it to Falcone later. It's all very weird. Yeah, it's just It's a incredible. also an especially weird like quality to give Falcone as a character. Like I want to kind of appreciate it because it does add a layer of complexity to him. Like it's a big vulnerability that this like big scary monster guy has that he's like weird about his mom. Also, I don't know if it's intentional, but it does draw a parallel between him and uh Cobblepot. I don't know what that means. Yeah. But it's there. They both have weird mom stuff going on. Yeah. yeah it's do. also interesting because very rarely do Batman stories, except for one particular bad one, really deal with mom stuff ever. There's a lot of dad stuff in Batman stories with his dad and other people's dads and him being a dad. Very rarely do you get mom stuff in Batman. So they really amped up the mom stuff in this show to 11 to overcompensate mm-hmm. for it. Goth mom. <laughs> So, um, on that note, uh, I wanted to, uh, just talk about, like, how shoehorned in it feels that, uh, these two homicide cops are investigating a drug thing. Because, like, I mean, it's, it's, it's pointed out at the beginning that this whole thing is about the drug. And, uh, they even stumble onto it accidentally, uh, because they were just eating a sandwich nearby when Gordon sees... Selena Kyle and says you and proceeds to comically chase after her as she runs away and then he stumbles into the bodega after it was already robbed but like Bullock correctly points out that it's not a homicide like it's a drug thing like there should be like the DEA or someone coming in here to take care of it yeah no you're right it, it's it is like a, a real narrative convenience to get them to work on this case I do kind of like the idea that Gotham is just so shitty that, like, maybe they are just the only two detectives. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, whenever you see the bullpen, it's always in chaos and also full of people. Every Here's the thing. In Gotham, there's Essen, who's in charge, mm-hmm. and then Bullock and Gordon, whose jobs are to solve crimes and be detectives, and then every other cop's job is to either be eating something where when a crime is happening so they're too distracted to do anything about it, or beat up criminals in interrogation and force them to confess to crimes they didn't commit. That's every other couple in the force. They all they just have those two jobs, and it's only Gordon and Bullock who are out there beating feet and asking questions mm. and eating old shoes <laughs> with pickles, <laughs> extra pickles. Uh, but yeah, it's just it it felt really contrived. Yeah, I can give that. I'll give that to you. I mean, that's fine. Like, I I don't I don't think we need to. St- I do not think that Gotham of all shows. Needs to strict, stick strictly to established police procedure. Jesus, I could not say any of the words in that sentence correctly. 
I do not think that Gotham, of all shows, needs to strictly stick to established police procedure. That's the sentence I was trying to say. Sure. But, I mean, we point out that Bullock's like that partner that, mm-hmm. like, at the same time doesn't want to do anything, but also doesn't want to do anything, like, by the books. But in this case, like, when he points out it's not a homicide, he's, like, 100% in the right. Yeah, he's definitely right. But, you know, they gotta, they gotta, if there's a crime, if there's an important crime in Gotham, it's gotta be our boys investigating it. Because they're the characters that we follow. I think this is where you see some of that tension between the show wanting to be um, Gotham Central and not being able to be that. Because this would have worked perfectly fine as a Gotham Central story. You just had some other cops who are part of the ensemble cast as the lead investigators. But this show is so married to having Gordon being the main character that it kind of has to, you know, jump through some hoops to get him to do exactly the things it wants him to do. Yeah. Um, So let's talk about Penguin. This is where we learn see that he is getting more okay with people calling him Penguin. Kind of like Moroni sits him down and they talk about him and they're like and they're like people call you Penguin, right? And he's like, yeah, and you don't like it. He's like, yeah. But presumably he didn't murder all of those people that called him Penguin, right? Or he wouldn't have the job and the the restaurant would be completely un, uh, unstaffed. Sure. Again, it just feels heavy handed. Um, <laughs> I wanted to talk about how ridiculous Maroney gets again I like his charisma and like the way he's always eating he is always eating but it's just he's the opposite of Batman all you have to do is be within earshot of him and you know everything he's doing like he consistently has to re-narrate his plans and re-talk about like I'm gonna do this I did that I am the best and like, I'm going to get that casino. I'm going to get that casino. I am going to get that casino. Mm-hmm. Like five times. And it's nuts. Yeah. I, so I think the idea that I'm imagining now is that he doesn't own this restaurant because it's a front for his business. He owns this restaurant because he literally can't eat anywhere else because he'll just say all of his crime <laughs> plans really loud and everyone will hear him. But if he owns the restaurant, he can make sure there are no cops or snitches in there. He just really suffers from diarrhea of the mouth, and it's just, it's real interesting. Um, not, not in a good way, because it gets real hammy. Uh, but Penguin makes something, like, makes a decision in this episode that I think is real ill-advised. What's that? Uh, where he tells the new mob boss that he's working for that he snitched to the cops. But I get that he would say he was originally working for Fish Mooney to prove that he has connections, but, like... You don't tell your new crime boss that you're a snitch. Yeah. They'll murder you. Immediately. Yeah. You don't, you don't trust a snitch. But they didn't murder him immediately, Which so it worked out for him. Which my mind. <laughs> He's too useful. Well, he does successfully pull up the casino job, but after they have to beat the crap out of him and Dragon Jim Gordon to corroborate his story. Yeah. But I did like the meeting between Maroney and Gordon. I thought that was... Interesting but yeah, this is what I was talking about. They could have just cut out that whole scene with uh, Penguin showing up at Barbara's apartment uh, and just had this be the scene where Gordon learns that Penguin's alive. Yeah. Penguin's alive! So, towards the end of the episode, when the guy who was giving out the viper samples kills himself and they go to go after a lab they tell them not to go to, like, don't go to Warehouse 39. No, he tells them to go there. 
I thought it said, I thought it sounded like you said don't go there. I'm pretty sure he tells them to check there and then they check and, and it's, it's already empty. been emptied out. And then Bullock does the, it's Gotham and just walks away. Like the whole, it's Chinatown, but like it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. I guess like he's just like, it's Gotham. Everything's bad. <laughs> I guess. Just, Don't expect anything to play out good. Very clunky. Um, and then it ends with uh, Falcone um, feeding pigeons, because that's what old men do. That's just the thing. Yeah, he's just sitting on the steps at some park feeding pigeons. I also like that... It, even if you're a crime boss, if you're an old man, that's what you do. Yeah, yeah. I, it's also like, you know, he, he talks about being like, I'm the pillar of the city. So he's like out there making sure even the smallest featheriest inhabitants of the city got a bite to eat. It just shows how much he cares about his hometown. Even you, my little bird, you get a piece of the pie. <laughs> One day me and you are going to rule this town, Pigeon. No, that'd be Maroney. <laughs> oh, that'd be Maroney? <laughs> yeah. What, do they people call you Pigeon? No, you should. that's good. You should like that. That's powerful. Have some breadcrumbs. I'll also eat a handful of breadcrumbs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be ridiculous. Uh, but then he meets with the the girl, and she hums the song that he sang with her mother, and it's real weird. Yeah, that is weird. Uh, so yeah, that's that's uh, that's the whole. That's episode. all that I had. Yeah, yeah. I don't really have anything else. Uh, my favorite parts of the episode were it's lunch and don't vex me, mortal, and what's altruism. Um. Yeah, so uh, no new villains were introduced in this episode. I mean, do you want to argue that Venom the Drug is a Batman villain that we can put on the list? Mm, even if I were to make that argument, which I'm not going to, it's not even really seen in this episode. Yeah, I guess it's... We focus on the precursor, Viper. Which I don't believe is from the comics at all, right? No. Completely new to the show. So uh, I'm fine with that. I think the villain list would probably stay the same. Um, do you want me to read it out? Yeah. So number six is Riddler. Uh, he's still the worst. Like, he's still the worst. Boy, howdy, wait until next episode. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, number five is Poison Pepper Ivy. Who's not around, but she's still better than the Riddler. She won't show up again for a while. I, she might not even show up again until season two. I don't remember. Uh, number four is Selena Kyle, the future Catwoman. Who is still here, uh, but she she's really like, in that. this episode for like a second. Yeah, she just gets... She owns Gordon. She, that's like a weird thing. Gordon is constantly getting into fights with people and like beating them. But then he also is consistently getting dunked on by this child. <laughs> uh, number three is Sal Big Mouth Maroney. Yeah. Like the, the people below him are not great. So like he maintains his role. But if he had like better people below him, it would be a different story. Because he... As he consistently spouts off nonsense, it makes him like a lesser and lesser compelling character. Uh, number two is Carmine, the bird feeder, Falcon. <laughs> uh, and number one is our boy, Oswald Cobblepoot, the penguin. Yeah, I, that sounds about right. He doesn't give any uh, penguin-themed aliases in this episode. No, nor does his murder count go. No, he just, this is like the first episode we've seen where he hasn't murdered anyone. It actually goes backwards. He brings someone back to life. That doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's just uh, it's very unusual. Is this the first episode? No, yeah, it is. This is the first episode where he hasn't murdered because he murders someone at the very end of the first episode mm-hmm. when he kills that fisherman. Yeah, huh? My boy's really grown up, huh? I'm so proud of him. 
Um, yeah, I guess that's the whole thing. Uh, Josh, do you love Gotham yet? No. Do you hate Gotham? No. All right. Well, that includes this episode. We'll see you guys next time on the next podcast. Same bat podcast, same bat time. Uh, I think you should go to the bathroom, Nate. Probably have to go to the bathroom, right? Yeah. I hope there's no insects in there. No. All right. Ah, my butt! (laughs) Ah!